What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Inside Groove Podcast, episode number nine, presented by Ray's Dyes and Tubing. Oh, no. And as you let me know. Dustin's playing music in the background. <laughs> we, we, well, I'm, not even, I'm not going to cut that. I hope you know well, you I'm know, not going to cut that. You know that thing that you do when you like open up your phone on Instagram and you think your you, you think your volume is 100% turned down and then you click on something and your volume is not turned down? That's just what happened to me. I, I guess there was an ad. Somebody wanted to sell me something and they got through and whatever. So don't cut that. Don't cut anything. <laughs> What an open to the to this week's podcast. Dustin just playing on his phone, watching Instagram videos while Nick does the open. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, now you know Dustin Tanner. He's here this week as always. I'm Nick Mumley with you uh, as uh, we we roll right along here. Dustin, a busy weekend, a couple of uh, a couple of races on the docket, and uh, it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. We got to go out to Thunder Road first uh, fifty lapper of the year. Flying Tigers had their 100 lap uh, event. I know you were able to watch on Flow Racing, which is which is so nice that we were, were able to sit down and watch these <laughs> races. Uh, you know when we're not able to get to the track, and uh, I was obviously there. And then White Mountain on Saturday night. It was uh, <laughs> it was uh, two races in two nights, and if you ask me, there wouldn't be uh, anywhere else where I'd rather be. So uh, a great weekend of racing and. Uh, Oh, we got a big week coming up again. ACT is on their way to Hudson uh, coming up on Sunday. Uh, Thunder Road just uh, ha- opens up their Thursday night schedule. First Thursday night of the year. Uh, a little bit of rain in the forecast right now, but we'll see how that works out. Uh, recording this on Tuesday night, so you never know what will happen. Uh, but we got a big show for you as well to get you ready for this upcoming week of racing. Uh, we'll have Aaron Maynard joining us uh, later on in the show. I had a nice long talk with him uh, earlier and excited to, uh, for you guys to hear the stories behind uh, the voice of the uh, American Canadian Tour, Thunder Road, and White Mountain Motorsports Park. So uh, a big show coming up tonight, but uh, Dustin, just uh, overall a great weekend at the racetrack, wouldn't you say? Nick, I'm disappointed you didn't let me chat with you and Aaron about uh, just your his Alan Bestwick take, just to get you going here. I thought we could have done that live and made some really great content. Um, beautiful weekend at the racetracks. Um, we're paying for it with the rain this week, apparently, because I guess that's how that works in the New England. You get one good day, you get three rainy days. Um, and we went up to White Mountain, like you said, and I, I love White Mountain, so I just like... I, I really fawn over the White Mountain area. Like, I just love that area. And I keep saying to myself, I got to bring Allie and Atticus up here because it's a vacation destination spot. Like, it's a really nice place. Like, it's it's like a resort town, basically. And I keep saying to myself, I got to bring them up there. I got to bring them up there. And once again, I went up to White Mountain. I'm like, I got to bring my family up here because there's just so much to do up here. And it's so pretty up here. And the racing was pretty good. And, you know, quick, efficient ACT show, which is really what you love to see. And we got to see a really big storyline. You know, I did not know that that was Tom Carey's uh, first ACT win. For some reason, I thought he had won another ACT race before. So that was really cool to see him break through and, you know, to see just the happiness on his face. And then you had your... um. Friday night show at Thunder Road and, you know, had some different results than you normally wouldn't get in a late model race, right? So that was cool to see. So it's always nice when people who you don't expect to win, win races. That's, you know, one of the coolest things. And 
we're getting right into the deep, you know, right into the thick of it now. We got Thunder Road this week. I'm going on a little trip. We'll talk about that later at some point. Um, and it's race season and everything's back to normal in Vermont. You know, all, all pandemic restrictions have been lifted. It feels, it feels good to be back. It feels like we were, you know, we got ringers coming up for the governor's cup. Like it feels like we're back to normal and I love it. Yeah, it really does. So, uh, yeah, just uh, just a lot going on right now, and uh, I completely forgot. It went right over my head at the beginning of the show. We got, um, you know, we're going to be recapping last week, uh, talking about this upcoming week. Ryan Priest is coming to the Governor's Cup uh, in July, so that's going to be a lot of fun to see what he can do. Um, and I'll tell you, man, if there's any of these ringers that come up, or not really ringers, but the invaders uh, from the NASCAR Cup Series that come up to Thunder Road on the weekend when Loudon is uh, is running and and come try out the Na- the uh, Thunder Road uh, late models and can go out and do well and maybe have a shot an outside shot at winning. It's gonna be Ryan Priest. I mean, this is a guy that grew up racing short tracks in New England. And, you know, a Connecticut guy. Uh, yeah, a lot of his experiences in the modifieds, but um, you know. It transfers over. I mean, Woody Pitcat uh, has gone out and won late model races as recently um, as last year at Thompson Speedway. Uh, Woody Pitcat, if you're unfamiliar, is a is an incredible modified driver. He steps into the late model quite often um, for ACT events, and he won at Thompson last year in the uh, <coughs> in the uh, World Series back in October. So. Um, you know, I think Ryan Priest can have a real shot at this thing. So, when we think about Ryan Priest, Nick, do you think of Ryan Priest, Ryan Priest as an invader? Because I feel like he's such a New England guy that it's just a new, it's no different than, you know, a Massachusetts guy coming up for an ACT race. Like, I know he's a big cup guy and he races a different division, but like, you know, he races at a track that I would consider a local track to us. It's within driving distance for us. So I don't really, you know, I, you know, my first, my first opinion, when I saw that news, I was like, Oh, Ryan Priest, he's just coming up here. And then I was like, Oh wait, Ryan Priest is a cup driver. Like, I'm just like, I know him so much from what he does locally that it doesn't really feel like, you know, you know, when Tony Stewart or Kyle Bush came, right. It doesn't feel like somebody who, you know, it feels like somebody who you would you wouldn't be surprised to see come race in Vermont. I'm surprised he hasn't raced in Thunder Road before, actually. Right, and I mean it's yeah, it's not a it's not a NASCAR Cup superstar. Um, you know, Ryan Priest I think is 24th in Cup Series points right now, um, but he's a name that is known nationally, um, a name that is a pre a driver that is appreciated nationally, um, and I mean yeah it. it maybe because he's from the area i guess makes it a little bit different um but ryan priest has never driven an act late model before uh and i think that's important to note um so i think that that you know guys like kyle bush kyle bush runs late models all the time tony stewart same thing uh christopher bell all these guys from nascar that have come down and raced thunder road it's not like it's their first time in you know a late model ryan priest is been a modified guy through and through his entire career so you know just because he races um he races locally and uh, and you know is at these modified races and runs thompson all the time he's from connecticut he runs the tour um you know just because he does that doesn't mean that 
um, you know, he, he's not an invader. I, I still think, uh, you know, he absolutely is an invader um, that's coming up and, and is going to have, a, I think, a really good shot at it simply because of his short track prowess, um, you know, on these, you know, Saturday night short track kind of uh, cars and kind of races. Um, you know, this is not his uh, first time you know going around with this albeit it is in a new car and at a new track that he hasn't been at before but um you know either way for thunder road to be able to bring in a guy like ryan priest um to to get down to thunder road it's you know huge because now you know you look at it in the last five years this is going to be the third third guy from the nascar cup <coughs> series to race at thunder road and mm-hmm. um for for christmas shot and and the whole act thunder road group uh, you know, that's huge for the track as a whole. Yeah, no, um, that I, I would love to see, you know, I'd love to see more guys come up, you know, I would love to see, I don't know. So not to go off on the tangent, but one of the coolest things about watching SRX this past weekend was just seeing how, you know, you had superstars at the short track. And I think one of the greatest ways we can keep motorsports growing, motorsports alive, motorsports well, is if we take these guys who, you know, run short tracks and we um, <clears throat> have them, you know, or run national series events is if we have them come and run short tracks, I think, NASCAR should be encouraging this, you know, I think NASCAR should be telling every single guy in the field, you know, look at what Kyle Larson is doing at dirt tracks across America right now. Look at the fans he's gaining because he's at a dirt track Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like NASCAR should really be pushing anybody in the top tier series to come run short tracks. So, you know, this is going to be another year where, you know, we have a, you know, a, nascar driver on the track and i'm excited for it and you know seeing the success of srx this past weekend makes me hopeful that we'll continue to get that type of you know non-local guy who comes up the you know barry vermont because it's a beautiful place to come up to too you know like i don't not to toot vermont's own horn but like come on come up to vermont for a weekend bring your bring your partner and you know race at thunder road on thursday night vacation friday and saturday and still right like come on drivers right it would be a beautiful it's a beautiful area and it would be helpful for everybody you know you gain young fans who are going to be at this track and i you know i always worry about the northeast losing its connection to national motorsport because you know you look at the names that are from you know new england you know it, it it's a big thing and i think it it would be great, you know, Ryan Priest coming up. He's going to get, you know, he's going to get a lot of cheers as compared to some of the other guys who've come up because, you know, people up here know who Ryan Priest is. And it's just one of those things where the more we can foster that relationship and that type of growth, the better off all facets of the sport will be. It's better for Thunder Road. It's better for NASCAR. It's better for the driver himself. And it makes, you know, a great storyline. And it gives us, you know, 15, 20 minutes of content on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, um, yeah, I mean that's that news came out on um, Monday night, so that's uh, exciting news, and we're excited for obviously Governor's Cup not only for that race, but now with another uh, ringer coming up, and and Ryan Priest will have an opportunity to go up against the uh, the big guns of Thunder Road, 150 laps that night for the Governor's Cup, and uh, it, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun to watch, and uh, you know maybe uh, even Phil Scott will be there again. We saw him there. Uh, this past weekend making his return. So that was uh, so wonderful to see Phil Scott at the track again. You know, I know he, 
the dude has been through so much these last couple of years with the COVID response and whether or not you agree with him is, is a totally different topic. But the fact that he was able to come to Thunder Road, get in a car and just turn some laps for the first time. And you could just kind of see it in the smile in the interview you did, Nick, like his face was, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't see that type of joy from somebody quite often, but it was like, he got to come back to the track. He got to go do his thing. Where did he finish by the way? I did not see where he finished. He finished 10th. He did finish 10th. All right. Top 10 too. Yeah, no, that was really cool to see. All right. So before we get into our uh, full recap of the weekend, we always want to remind you that tonight's podcast presented by Ray's Dyes and Tubing. Since 1960, they've been among the best in the extrusion dye industry. Call them at 802-868-2040 or visit them online at raiseddyesandtubing.com. So, Dustin, let's start off uh, Friday night. Uh, Thunder Road, I was there. You were watching on Flow TV. Um, and uh, let's start off with that with that 100-lap uh, uh, Flying Tiger feature there. Uh, the, rain, the rain out makeup. Uh, 100 laps in this race was absolutely wild uh, you know it started off looking early on like it was going to be jason woodard mike martin uh, and sam karen going at it for the win and then um with sam karen leading mike martin coming in in second trying to make something happen uh entering turn three they make contact i think uh sam came sam kind of uh turned a He's kind of got a little bit of a higher entry into the corner than he would have liked, and and Mike was a little bit deeper than he would have liked on the bottom, and they they collide at, at I don't think anybody's <clears throat> fault, and um, and crash into turn three, um, and so they both get sent to the back uh, as is standard procedure, and then uh, Jason Woodard takes over the lead. And then not long after that, it looks like Jason Woodard's going to fly off with this win. Easy money for him, uh, as we've seen so many times before. And then the wheel breaks, uh, something that you don't see a whole lot. And it's kind of become a hot-button topic um, in the uh, discussion forums this week. But the wheel breaks on the uh, on the Jason Woodard car, and he goes upstairs into the outside wall and uh, pretty much the same thing that happened with bobby therian um last week and that happens to jason woodard brian wall jr takes over the lead holds off uh jason woodard's daughter kelsey woodard um for uh for the win kelsey gets second um on the night and Jaden perry was third so um you know this was just a, a really crazy race i'm not dustin i'm not sure if you got to catch uh catch it um on flow tv if you made it in early enough uh it was the first feature of the night but man it was uh, it was a good one you picked a fine time to leave me loose wheel no i don't know if that joke works there but i was really interested to see how that wheel just kind of broke that's not something I'm trying to remember the last time a wheel actually broke at a track. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw that happen. And did they, did you get any information on how that happened or why that happened, Nick? Because, you know, I, that's just an odd thing to happen for a wheel to break. Like a tire going down is one thing, right? Or something in the wheel housing breaking is something. But like for a wheel to break, is just weird. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting it, it happens you know it it does happen it, it you know depends on how much pressure um or how much force is coming back from the right front tire um against the banking of the track and how much load is on that right front um and if it's too much that wheelbase will crack and that that wheelbase will will break off 
Um, this one was uh, this one was pretty dramatic for for Jason Woodard. Uh, you know, it's not something I've seen a lot of. I've seen it before. Um, I also haven't been at the racetrack, you know, for all that many of years. So um, it, it's not something that I've seen a lot of. But uh, I've heard, I've definitely seen a lot of takes and a lot of opinions on it. Um, and you know, it, it sounds like it's something that that happens you know not regularly but it, it you know part of it and just part of racing sometimes um but you know it happened to it happened uh it's happened a couple times on these new tires the tiger drivers seem to seem a little bit concerned about uh the or at least some of the tiger drivers um you know reading the facebook forums seem a little bit concerned about uh the uh the wheelbases after this crap after this uh break for for woodard so um or the they're a little bit worried about the tires uh excuse me um so it'll be interesting to see you know if this continues to be something that happens or if this is just race car drivers um you know making up a problem that doesn't exist because of a one-time coincidence um but you know it's definitely going to be something to watch uh, you know now that we've seen it in the late models and in the tigers in the last two weeks um to see if these uh if these broken wheels continue to uh to plague drivers and it's happened twice to guys that were leading the race so um you know i i'm interested in seeing what happens um and if it does become a bigger issue uh right now i think it's a i don't think it's really an issue at all i think it's just a product of racing and you know parts break parts and pieces break um and uh but you know we'll see we'll see what happens uh, i think this is definitely be something that we're going to be monitoring over the next uh you know uh, over the next few weeks and seeing if it continues um and you know then we'll we'll be able to reassess and say you know maybe we do have a bigger problem here but um you know it, w with two two big real cases of it so far uh as far as i know <clears throat> um I, I think that I, I don't think that this will be a problem going forward, but you never know. Uh, any Anything can happen, and I, I think this is probably just a coincidence, but uh, like I said, we'll see, and, and uh, it's something I'll definitely be keeping my eye on uh, over the next few weeks. Nick, you got to tell me which Facebook group that's in, because apparently I'm not seeing any of this discourse, and I would have loved to know what some of the conversation about it was. But yeah, no, I'm a little concerned about right front tires, you know, tire loads. This is this is now, like you said, a couple of weeks. We'll see how teams adjust, and maybe it's something the teams just have to change as far as how much load they're putting on the tire, right? Like we don't know where their setups are, and you know, we we will see if any tires blow this week. But yeah, no, just um, just an unfortunate series of events for the, especially in like the 100 lap race. You know, that's one of the more prestigious races too. Like you know, you don't want to blow a tire in the 100 lap or because it's like that's your best chance to you know show off and put on a great show. And it's unfortunate, but we'll see how everyone adjusts going on in this week. So yeah, um, if uh, for this is for your information, Dustin, or anyone else who is interested in learning kind of more about you know just being able to read up on the general scuttlebutt of the thunder road community um i think there's there's two pages there might be more um that i'm thinking of but i can't remember there there's two pages that generally i like to uh you know that i see a lot of uh this kind of discourse on and um there's uh the thunder road speed uh, the thunder road speed bull fans 
um, which I think is is just a, a page, you know, just run by the track. Um, people can post in it, you know, all that. And then uh, Johnny Racer, who takes a lot of pictures at the track, he's a well-known guy in the in the Thunder Road community. He has a um, he has a, a fan page as well. Um, that usually has some some interesting information on it uh, throughout the week as well. So off the top of my head, those are the two that I, that I usually I think see come up in my newsfeed. Um, and you know if you know there's always stuff to learn uh, from them as well. And you know also you can't forget uh, for the historical stuff the, the tours of Tom Cor- the tours of Tom Curley Facebook page uh, is also um very informational with uh, a lot of historical stuff as well so if you're not following those pages dustin man you got to get on that uh <laughs> get that thunder road hey, content in you know I, I i don't spend a lot of time on facebook i'll admit it i don't i don't spend as much time on it as as i used to i uh it's twitter for me that's about it <laughs> well uh that's that's perfectly understandable um but uh yeah let's move on now and, and you know get to this uh th- first off thunder road um and that race on thursday uh for the late models we saw kyle pembroke lead it wire to wire um this isn't surprising to me they've had top five speed all year long um they just haven't had the brakes go their way i mean dustin you remember the community bank 150 they set a torrid pace in that race. They led the first hundred. Uh, they led the first fifty-four laps, and then the contact with Scott Dragon, uh, you know, virtually ended their day. They get sent to the back, um, and Kyle just couldn't recover. I think he finished eleventh. And then uh, last week in the Mo- in the Memorial Day Classic, um, they didn't even get to take laps in that race because the they blew an engine in in uh, practice. So, you know, just a really terrible start to the season for them. Um, but they come out with the handicap and a really fast car that put them on the pole. Um, and, uh, and the 27 team never looked back. They never relinquished the lead. And, uh, Marcel gravel had a couple of shots at it, but, uh, you know, one and two start the same, you know, the, the cars that started on the front row finish on the front row in this race, not a lot of movement between the top two. Um, you know, guys like Jason Corliss and, and Trampus Demers had to come up through the field in this one. Uh, and, and gained some some more very valuable points uh but i mean this was a a really quick late model feature is steven donahue had a crash early on but that was uh, one of just of just uh two cautions i believe uh maybe three on the night um but you know just a clean quick race uh both friday and saturday night for the late models were very good races uh just from a racing standpoint um and so uh it made things interesting and uh but you know it's good for kyle pembroke kyle pembroke to go out get that eighth career victory they needed it really badly you know they got a brand new car built by dale shaw um and i'll tell you race cars yeah dale shaw has if you go next time you're at thunder road check out the 27 and the 42 both brand new race cars both cars both teams running um you know leaps and bounds ahead of where they've been in the past i mean kyle pembroke and matt white are two guys that um you know are going to be contenders to win every week and it's because of these brand new dale shaw cars uh you know those guys are building incredible race cars right now um 
and uh you know and you look at dj shaw's new car on the american canadian tour as well uh i believe is uh third in points with uh with them right now so yes he they've they've they're building really good cars right now and uh people are taking notice but kyle pembroke and matt white are, are beneficiaries of that uh and have both showed really good speed to start the season so um you know doesn't surprise me at all uh and also good Mar- good for marcel gravel to get to get p2 after uh breaking from the lead in uh in the opening weekend i called that that was one of my one of, one of my gold predictions i made a couple that corliss would bounce back that gravel would bounce back so i feel like i'm gonna withhold the prediction this week because i feel like the lucky now um no it was really good to see gravel bounce back and the same thing with pembroke you know he he's a good kid um you know good race car it's just the brakes have not gone his way and that's one of the benefits of the shorter race right you know the shorter race you don't necessarily have to have the 150 lap speed because if you start up front in the short race and you're not getting a lot of, you know if they're not stacking them up and getting a lot of cautions those races go by quick and you know if it's an uneventful evening you know you can all you got to do is just hold the hold the lap for um all you got to do is just hold the lead and and he did it he had the speed he's clearly had the speed in a car this year that could hold the lead for a while it was just getting up there and getting a good break for him so you know that'll help him out and uh what are the points looking like nick as i pull up points as i only had act points up because i was unprepared nick (laughs) yeah so i i crazy day today i haven't even gotten a chance to look at thunder road points that's usually something i put together on wednesdays um with all my um i have about 15 documents that uh that go into deep detail about uh you know thunder road act and everything that gives me all my advanced stats that i'm able to figure out and use and sometimes share with you guys uh throughout the week and the weekend and sometimes share with me you never share those you never share your show notes with me you have one note that's like a google doc that you sometimes update but you do everything else and you have all these stats and you pull out these cool stats and i'm like that's awesome nick what's the source on that because i would like to like you put a stat on our instagram on our on our facebook page and i was like i didn't know this stat at all that's pretty cool this is where you tell me i should read the show notes because it's in there right <laughs> no i though i have like a bunch of different documents that i always forget to share with you but i, I, will, I promise i'll do that this week but I do want to update that stat. Um, so last week, my my big stat that I was that I found out through two races absolutely blew my mind. Of uh, the guys that ran both races um, through Thunder Road at Thunder Road, um, you know, through last week through the Memorial Day Classic, only four of them had completed every lap that had been run. Only four, and there had been 25, 30 car counts for both races. Um, the update to that stat is that now it's down to two. Half of them are gone now. So there's two guys that have run every single lap through three races at Thunder Road this year. And uh, Dustin, uh, do you have any idea who they might be? Is Christopher Pelkey one? No. Christopher Pelkey wrecked at Community Bank 150. Um, Trampus Demers would be one in my opinion. Yep. Yep. Trampus Demers is is one half of it now. (laughs) The other and one you then, might not expect because he is not finished in the top five yet, but he's run every single lap. Oh, man, I want to say like it, it's not um, it's not Cody Blake, is it? Cody no, Blake was one of them, but he didn't race on Thursday night, so race, that broke okay. it. 
So I'll, I'll just give it to you. It's Cooper t- Bouchard? No, not <laughs> Cooper. Uh, Cooper crashed in the community bank 150. So, um, and he pulled it. He pulled it behind the wall early on Thursday night too. The end. He had uh, right front damage uh, after hitting the wall on a restart. So, um, two guys left. Tramp Smurfs is one of them. Dustin, you got it right. Ding, ding, ding. The other one is um, is Co- uh, Tyler Cahoon. Really? Yep. Tyler Cahoon has completed every lap so far. Um, you know, and like I said, I mean, he's been running fifth to tenth. Um, but you know, not yet really been in the discussion to win a race yet. He's kind of been doing it quietly. Um, but yeah, Trampus Demers, Tyler Cahoon, the two guys left this season, uh, who have completed every single lap at Thunder Road. I'm really interested in seeing if somebody makes it the entire way. Um, they won't. There's no way. You know, I, I would say maybe at like a intermediate track, you could make it the whole way, but like at a short track, like Thunder Road, there is just so much that, not only do you have to bring a car that, you know, is mechanically sound each week, you have to get really lucky to not get caught up in someone else's back at Thunder Road. Like, let's be honest, like how many wrecks have we seen at Thunder Road where it is just bad luck and you get behind on a restart and then you get caught up in somebody else's mess? You see that quite a bit. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, after what Trampus's team did, we're fixing that rear end a few weeks ago. I can't, I can't put doubt on them, right? I can't doubt them yet because they – if you give them 10 minutes, they will find a way to fix it, but we'll see if anybody can complete all those laps. Yeah. I'm interested in see what happens as well. And, you know, I think if it's going to be either of those guys, I, I think, or if it's going to be anybody, I think it's going to be Cahoon or, or Demers. Uh, obviously the, those are guys that, you know, generally take really good care of their equipment and, <laughs> um, and are also fast enough to run on the lead lap, you know, not have to worry about getting put laps down in, in races, um, you know, normally. So, <clears throat> obviously the the two guys that went down that were still alive uh in the in the 100 percenter club i guess i'm gonna call it um were uh steven donahue who crashed early uh in the in the feature on friday and cody blake who is obviously running the part-time schedule we knew that he wouldn't uh he wouldn't make it through so um you know i was thinking about that from you know this kind of made up made up prize uh, or award <laughs> to see if anybody could to, could be in the 100 percenter club and i went back and forth on it with cody blake because cody only runs um you know usually about six races a year now um i was thinking about can we do, does it still count if cody blake finishes um every lap in all six races that he runs but i i i don't know i don't think it does i think every lap turned uh, in a race setting at thunder road uh, for the late models is, is all that counts. So Yeah, I think what you have to do, it's kind of like NASCAR's playoff thing, right? You have to attempt every race to be able to qualify. So I think for that stat, you have to attend every race to qualify, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah. Now, uh, let's move on to the American-Canadian Tour, Dustin. Uh, you know, this right we don't want to look at the late model points first that I pulled up just, just for this segment? Do we want to oh, yeah. go, go ahead. Let's, let's uh, read them off. Yeah, so let's get him off. Uh, in the first position is Jason Corliss. He's got 145 points. He's got the one win and the one top five. Um, well, two top fives. You can win. Second place is the 64. Quietly having a good season. Christopher Pelkey, 136 points. He's got two top fives. He's the only driver not named Jason Corliss of two top fives. Um, just sneaky good so far. Uh, and then Scott Dragon, who we talked about, has 129. He's in third. And then following that is Trampus 
Marcus Demers in fourth place, and Matt White in the 42 is in fifth. And you got it, you know, you look at Travis Demers in fourth place, and I don't, you know, trying to do the math quickly here in front of me, but you got to think, um, you got to think, I mean, what is the point to entry? He's only eight, down 18 points to Corliss. Like that, the fact that he's been able to keep it in 18 points when there was a chance he was going to get no points, it's just huge. So, you know, it's tight. You know, I don't want to say Corliss is running away with it. He's got a nine point lead on second place right now, but, you know, second to, you know, the midfield of second to, you know, I'm looking at second, second to eighth is going to be really fun this season. Even, even if Corliss runs away with the championship, like I want to see if Pelkey can keep this up. You know, Scott Dragon has obviously had really good speed. Trampus, his team is really fast. You know, Matt White is doing, having a good season. You know, Tyler Cahoon has completed all those laps. And when you complete all those laps just by attrition, you know, you earn a good amount of points. And then you got uh, Marcel Gravel and Brandon Lamphere. Or Brandon Lamphere is in eighth, and then Marcel chasing him down in ninth. So really interesting to see how the points shake out after this week as we get into our third Thunder Road event. And it's going to be fun. We're going to have a lot of fun in that midfield this year, Nick, I think. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk ACT now because uh, obviously a huge weekend for Tom Carey, the third, his first career ACT victory. Um, and Dustin, <laughs> it, I think you were in the same boat. As a lot of people didn't really realize that TC three hadn't yet won a race in the tour. Um, you know, he's, he's been very good for a very long time now. Uh, the last couple of years, um, you know, really getting after it, but 21st career start for him. He gets the win um you know gets and just another race very similar to the friday night event at thunder road where you know the the top two guys were um you know your your top finishers the the guys that started the race up front um you know also finished the race very well and uh you know not a lot of accidents i I think we had that one that one big one with uh, dylan paya and and um dylan moltz and um and Joey LeCare spinning out. But, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, just a very clean race, a very fast race. I think it got done in, you know, like 36 or 37 minutes, which is incredible for 121 laps. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, giving our general thoughts on the race here, I, I thought that this was one of the better ACT races that I've seen in a while, just from a racing standpoint. So, Nick, I got a, I got a trivia question for you. Did the race end under green? I, um, I want to, no, no, it didn't. So I didn't realize it was such a clean race that I did not realize I was talking to Mike at the tech shed afterwards. Cause you know, I decided to stay for tech shed this time because you know, you never want to, we've been every time I go to the racetrack and leave, it seems like something happens at the tech shed. So I decided to stay this time because it was earlier than I thought we got done because the show just ran so fast. Um, and I was like, yeah, only two cautions. And Mike's like, actually three, we ended in a caution. I'm like, Oh, huh. I didn't see that. So no, that was a really clean race. Um, I, I like clean races like that. You know, one of the th- cool things about that race was that it, it was not a race where uh, we're, we're widening up and starting again. We're widening them up and starting again. It was a a couple of wreck, you know, a wreck in the first couple of laps. Um, and I really felt bad for that seven car Pea um, because he just, he, it was just a checkup. It was the 15 spun out and, you know, guys are checking up and guys get hit. Um, and that just stinks for a team like that. 
So, no, that was, a, besides that, you know, and one other incident with the 15, and then Lanfier's spin on the final lap, it was just, it was really clean, it was really crisp, and we got to see, you know, Tom Carey have a good long run speed and just muscle his way past a car in, in lap traffic, too. You know, one of the cool things about races going that long is that lap, lap traffic plays a factor, and it really shows driver skill navigating those slower cars, so... Um, and I really didn't know that Tom Carey didn't win. <laughs> I didn't know Tom Carey didn't win an ACT race for the first time until Monday or Tuesday when I saw an article on um, a short track scene, a short track outlet that Matt Weaver runs and has people, correspondents around America that write for him now. Um, I was like, really? Because I'm so used to seeing that that bright yellow number five Brookside car. Like every time I look at it, I'm so used to seeing it, you know, in the top five. I just thought he'd won one that we just hadn't been to at this point. So it was really cool to see him win. And, you know, Tom, just seeing him in tech afterward, just hanging out with his crew and, you know, just, he's just so happy. He was so happy. It was such a good moment. You know, you could tell. He, you know, he was locked in. He, he knew he had the best car, I think. I think he knew he had the best car long run speed wise, and he was able to get it done. And you love, you love to see it. You really do. Yeah. And, you know, as, uh, you know, somebody who's been around now for the almost the entirety of, uh, of Tom Carey's uh, full time ACT career now, it, it's just so cool for me to see because. You know, this is a guy that is, um, you know, just one of the one of the good guys in the garage of one of many. Um, but you know, Tom Carey is just a stand-up guy. He's a stand-up driver. Um, you know, he grew up in a racing family where his dad was a very good race car driver, um, and you know, he has every right in the world to you know be uh, cocky and reserved and and you know not be outgoing towards other people and and humble um and you know he's all of those things and he absolutely deserves uh the chance at getting the win it's something that they have worked very very hard uh at over the last uh last couple of years we had him on the podcast uh earlier on early on in in this show uh maybe mm-hmm. episode two or three um but you know and he's just he just uh has he radiates just so much positive energy. Like, um, you know, he's just a fun loving guy, always excited about the task at hand. Um, and you know, even when, uh, things don't go his way, you know, he still, he still stays positive and works hard, um, at, you know, making things happen. So, uh, very happy to see him get that first win. It's very well deserved. And I think it's the first of many because, you know, it, over the course of the last uh, few months here, they've definitely figured something out with this ACT car, um, and uh, you know they've uh, they've got a chance at, at making things happen. So, well, you know, you talk about making things happen, and now he's only four points behind Ben Rowe, and Ben does not have a win this year, and DJ Shaw has, has three hundred and eighty points. So, you know, that ACT battle that we thought would be Shaw Heber, it's going to actually be you know Rowe versus Carey versus Shaw. You know, that's those are the three guys. You know, Donnie Hughes got three seventy three, so he's a little further out. Um, but yeah, no, the top the top four are separated by and let me do my math here because you know we do this live nick we uh we record this show and dustin should just do math before the show instead of filling yeah so the top four are separated by 14 points and then there's a big drop off to 
fifth place and everyone else. So, you know, that's going to be a tight battle between those four. And Tom Carey is showing really good speed right now. You know, DJ Shaw, we thought, we really thought DJ Shaw was going to go gangbusters with just how, you know, the new race car and his talent. And, you know, Tom Carey is going not so fast. Ben Rowe has been pretty consistent too. You know, he, he's got four top tens and only two top fives. And, you know, we're not really talking about Ben Rowe that much, even though he's got the ACT point lead. So, you know, he's having a quiet, good season. And then Stephen Donahue has 373 points. So, you know, he's, he's keeping up with those guys. You know, he's, uh, he's got three top tens. He does not have four top tens, but, you know, he's, he's, a, you know, one win for Stephen Donahue and he's right back in this show. Right. Like, so, you know, those four, are really going to be battling it out here as we get into the heat of the ACT season. And it's going to be cool. It's going to be really nice to see, you know, multiple cars that have different types of strategies, right? Like Ben Rowe, you know, Ben Rowe is really like really consistent right now. You know, he's showing up, he's getting top tens. He's not winning at races, but you know, he's, you know, he's doing, he's doing what he needs to do. You know, DJ Shaw, he's got the speed to win the races and Shaw, was it Shaw that got DQ'd? Like he got DQ'd from the race at New Hampshire. New Hampshire, yeah, yeah, right. That was week one. So you know he, you know he's coming out with a fast car, and then you know Tom Carey is just coming into his own right now. And Stephen Donahue, always a threat to win anywhere. So it's going to be really cool watching this battle as the season goes on. Yeah, it is, and it's uh, you know kind of crazy to see how poorly things have gone for Jimmy Hebert. On the same note, I mean. The, it is it's incredible i mean they the first race new hampshire they finish second at the on the line uh shaw gets disqualified so hebert gets the win okay great you know you move on you go to thunder road they had um a, po- a problem with the power steering they finish 29th i think in that race then they go on to lee they crash in practice don't even start the race now all of a sudden they are in a huge hole um you know 50 something points out of the 83 out of the lead points after after three races and then white mountain now they're 83 points back because they're having problems with the fuel pickup they went over 30 laps down trying to get the trying to get the carburetor to pick up fuel um and they uh you know now it's it's tough he he announced today i think that they're they're officially gonna start trophy hunting and not racing every single race um you know which which is understandable we've talked about it on the podcast before he said this was going to be his last full-time season anyway um and uh you know now they're going to go to part-time it sounds like i don't i don't blame him because i mean 83 points is about as insurmountable as it gets in the american canadian tour when you only got uh you know 12 races to get it done and you know we're already a a a quarter of the way through the season here so uh you know it's uh it would be almost impossible for hebert to come back and repeat at this point because of you know just three just miserable races in a row for them um so tough to see it for jimmy hebert uh, again but um you know you'll see it's going to be interesting to see if they can find their way back um and start winning some races once again so um, yeah yeah. no it's um looking at it he would have to just thinking if there was a possible path for him to come back down 83 points, he would have to come out and start winning every week for a couple of weeks and then hope that, you know, the guys at the very top had issues, you know, you'd have to be winning races and hoping the top four were coming into misfortune. So 
you know, it makes no sense for Jimmy Heber to run the full schedule at this point. You know, some ACT tracks are, are kind of a drive. You know, I think you stay home and say, you know what, we're going to go to the ones that we're strong at. We're going to go to the ones that we could win at. And we wouldn't try to play spoiler, right? Like it makes it makes perfect sense for him to try to play a spoiler because the fact of the matter is that with an 83 point deficit, you know, a third, if it's 12 races, I don't know how many races it is off the top of my head this year, but you know, 12, we're a third yeah. of the way. So we're, so we're a third of the way through the ACT schedule. So, you know, at this point, I don't think, you know, I think the battle is first through four and I think the battle is five through 10. And for a guy like Jimmy Hebert, it doesn't make sense to run full time to finish fifth, right? Like he's won a championship. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to do that unless if he really wants to. So, go out, you know, bring the best car to the track. Trophy hunt, trophy hunt, trophy hunt. I think I I love the idea of trophy hunters. You know, I'm always a fan of a past champion coming back and saying, "Let's see if I can pull it off again." So we'll see because I, I think he'll win a couple of races. Like I'm, I think he'll still win two races. You know, I I think he'll come and you know trophy hunt well enough where you know you can show up at the tracks he's strong at and he'll do well so yeah we'll see how it goes but yeah makes sense for jimmy to not go full-time yeah for sure so coming up this week we get thunder road thursday hudson on uh, sunday um hudson man this is the first time in a while i've had to really think about going into an act race so hudson is three and a half hours away from home um and there's a noise ordinance in the town of hudson that does not allow race car engines until four o'clock on sundays which i think is just a, a weird weird rule but um you would think a noise ordinance would go the other way and be like you have to have race cars you know you have to have cars off the track by like eight o'clock on a sunday that's really weird i never knew of that that's that's some that's a fun fact <laughs> Yeah, so there's that. So the post time for Hudson is now 5.30 on Sunday. Um, so, man, I'm thinking that race would probably get done by, you know, that show overall would probably get done by, what, 8.30, 9 o'clock? It's tight and then on Sunday. I got a three-and-a-half-hour drive home. Plus, you know, stops, you know, probably closer to four. So we're getting home at what? One in the morning. And I work at six every single day. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I'm 22. You only live once. You're only 22 once. Maybe I'll try it. Um, maybe I'll just go to work and sleep in the parking lot when I on the way back. <laughs> Hey man, if you can get five hours of sleep, four hours, all you really need is a good four hours. If you can get that, because you know, this really leads into my next race that I think I'm going to. I am uh, going to Pocono in uh, next weekend. I have a media credential for the Pocono doubleheader, and I am gonna. I'm gonna tell you how to do this trick, Nick. I'm going to drop my kid off with my partner at her workplace at five o'clock that Friday night, drive the five and a half hours to her parents' house, get there at around 12 o'clock, sleep for five and a half hours, and then drive an hour over to Pocono and get my credential and spend uh, 12 hours at the track and then do that for two days and then leave at 6 a.m. on Monday morning and get back here to pick my kid up at daycare for the Monday afternoon. So I, uh, tight trips for sure but you know i'm excited to be going to pocono you know back again to feeling normal this is my first time in a nascar track credentialed since uh the dover fall race which you can find the highlights of on our instagram account so it's gonna be so cool 
uh, beautiful tracks. I like, you know, the cool thing about the Northeast is that all the tracks up here are beautiful, right? Watkins Glen, Pocono, New Hampshire, White Mountain, you know. I went over to Airborne, and that's in a beautiful spot. I was just um, over in Plattsburgh last week waiting for my friend to get off work so we could do dinner. So I just went like, I'm going to, because I haven't actually been to Airborne Speedway ever. Um, so I just drove to the track, and the gate was open. almost turned a lap in my Prius. I thought about it. Um, thought about driving driving on the dirt track, um, but I didn't. But no, that's in a beautiful area too because the lake is right down from there. There's a nice driving range down there. We got to hit one time. We got to go uh, do a pregame at the driving range and then go cover a race because one of our presenting sponsors has a car over there most weeks. So um, yeah, just really beautiful. But now I understand how you feel about that long trip because that's. Those trips, you know, I've made a bunch of them myself. You know, you feel it's really cool when you're 22, but every year that, you know, that that age counter clicks up, it really gets to like, oh, do I really want to do this? Like, do I really want to spend, you know, eight hours in a car round trip when I could just get the results in an email and not spend eight hours in the car, you know? Um, but regardless, we'll talk about the race next week. And the ACT season is going to be a lot of fun. You know, we have a great season going on. Maybe it makes sense to go to that race. I can't make that decision for you, Nick. I know I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure either way yet, but we'll make that decision. Either way, I'll th- certainly be at Thunder Road Thursday as always. Um, and something new. I'm going to be uh, a little bit different from the at-the-track coverage there. This is uh, a, a big week because uh, – I've, I will be working with WDEV on the radio on Thursday night. Uh, I'll be doing uh, some some commentary live for uh, for the race with, uh, with Lee Cattell. Um, and so I'm really excited for that. My first time uh, ever getting to call a race on the radio. So something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. And um, so... I'm excited to get to do that, so uh, I might you not know, be Nick. as visible at the track on Thursday, but uh, that if uh, you're wondering where I am, that's uh, that's where I'll be. Nick, I gotta I gotta give you a minor call out here. You were talking to Aaron in the press box about that, and you made it sound like that you've never done radio or TV ever before. Talk yourself up, kid. Like you've done radio for years and you've done TV for years. You got more talent than you than you let on to people when they're telling you how to do it. It's gonna be cool. I I uh if I'm not at the track, I'm gonna tune in to see how you do because I think you'll be great at it and you love racing, so you know, we'll, we'll launch your career in the hyperspace and I'll turn on my TV in 15 years and see you on NBC. Right. That's how that's going to go. Right. <laughs> well, maybe if, uh, if things work out, but no, I appreciate the kind words and, uh, I'm really excited for it. Really looking forward to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but, uh, yeah, that's what, that's, what's coming up. Uh, that's all we got for you this week, but, um, for, from us at least, uh, Aaron Maynard, Stay tuned. We got him coming right up next. Um, and a nice long talk with Aaron. He goes right through his entire career from, uh, you know, when he starts out racing and working on cars to being given the opportunity to announce uh, uh, winning a contest um, held by Tom Curley to uh, become the new track announcer for the Thunder Road and the American Canadian Tour. Um, and uh, just gives us the whole story on uh, on his career and 
and uh, you know what it's like to call big races like the Oxford 250 and uh, and be on NBCSN calling for the wheel and modified tour and all that. So uh, had a great talk with Aaron. Hope you'll enjoy that as well. And as always, our interviews are presented by Fast One Motorsports in Middlesex. They've got whatever you might need for race parts and accessories. Give them a call at 802-223-5888 or stop by uh, and see Pete today. Uh, to help you bring home the checkered flag tomorrow. So I hope everybody has a great week, uh, and we will see you on the other side of uh, Thunder Road in Hudson uh, next week here on the Inside Groove podcast. But for now, here's Aaron Maynard. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Inside Groove podcast here presented by Ray's Dyes and Tubing. We've got a little bit of a different guest for you here uh, this week. It's not a race car driver. It's uh, the guy who... Not, who talks about race cars and announces them uh, a voice you're very familiar with i'm sure uh if you have ever been to a thunder road or act event in the last 10 or so years it's uh the official voice of uh, the american canadian tour and thunder road aaron maynard aaron how we doing man uh good nick uh thanks for having me on uh you left out uh the official voice of white mountain motorsports park too Oh, I did. That's that's my fault. And that's where we were talking about having you on last week uh, in all irony is, is at White Mountain. So, yes, you're the official voice of White Mountain as well. Is that better? That You've done a great job up until this point, yes. That is much better. Thank you. And, and thanks for having me on. I've, I've actually been kind of like, man, waiting for someone to ask me to be on one of these podcasts, getting a little jealous of all these guys have announced being on them. So, yeah, well, we're happy to happy to have you on, and uh, I'm sure you've got some great stories for us. Uh, you've seen it all over the over the last decade of uh, American Canadian Tour uh, Championship uh, or American Canadian Tour Championship late model racing, as uh, as you call it, over the last uh, ten years. So uh, let's get right into it. So I mean, let's start off with uh, with kind of how you got into it all. I mean, I, I know that you. Uh, you've got a racing background and, and you've been a racer before and I mean just kind of tell us how you got into it and uh, you started racing and and how that all, all went down and, and came together so it, it all started out from a really young age my dad used to help Bobby Dragon uh, back when they used to have the race shop in Milton just up the road from my parents house so I can remember being a little kid like sitting in the Rossi Buick 71 little V6 while the guys were working on it because that was where they could contain me because being the youngest of three children, you know, the other two were old enough that they didn't have to go, but dad had to drag me along. So, and we followed them around and that's where, you know, watching Bobby, I wanted to be a race car driver. And that's kind of how I got into the announcing thing too, because while we would go like as a family to like Thunder Road and Catamount and Airborne and the local tracks, when my parents would go away for the Oxford 250 weekend, they would leave me at home with my aunt Betty uh, and the other kids too. And Adam started going when he was older, but, and I would sit home and listen to it on the radio. And that's where being an announcer really started because I would listen to the radio race going on and I would race my matchbox cars and, you know, pretty much mimic whatever. I don't even remember who the guys that were, were calling the races back. And I'm sure Dave Moody was one of the guys doing the MRN broadcast, you know, through BMT and probably Ernie Farrar and just, you know, kind of just reiterate it. And so that's where my love of wanting to be a, an announcer came from. And then I wanted to be a driver because I think anybody that follows racing 
and goes to race shops as a little kid with their dad or, you know, older siblings, you know, they get that interest in it. And so I wanted to be a driver and I wanted to be an announcer. I, I guess I just kind of wanted to do it all. And, and somehow I did. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, I guess take us through cause, cause you, you started off racing, right? Or, or, or am I incorrect there? So my brother started racing when Tom first built that four cylinder division, the, what is now the RK mile street stocks. I think it was 92, 93. Uh, my uncle Alan had a, uh, who also used to race back in the seventies, uh, had a citation that my brother built. So Adam is six years older than I am would let me do, you know, minuscule tasks like, Oh yeah, you can, you know, spray some paint on this and, you know, do whatever that I think I was 12 at the time, 10 years old, whatever he would, keep me so that got me into working on the car and uh then as that progressed you know the four-cylinder division really advanced from being you know just grab a car out of a junkyard to actual race cars and we were going to airborne on saturday nights to watch and adam was racing on thursdays at thunder road and i i first bought a renegade to race at airborne in 97 and started building that and they changed the rules in the renegade division because you could run a bigger motor at first if you had a longer wheelbase and then they changed the rules where you had to run the short wheelbase Monte Carlo style car. And I had a big one. So I sold that to some guy running an enduro and built a four cylinder. Um, when Tom did the hell on wheels thing right before the Bush North night in 1997 or 98, they did the big hell on wheels. Uh, I helped Ron blow Ron's auto and built in, uh, build all those cars, you know, doing the body work and all the stuff. My brother kind of taught me how to do, you know, since he started racing in 93 and Ron taught me how to weld and kind of like my payment for helping him build all those race cars or well, they weren't really race cars. They had, you know, some caging in them, but his payment for, me for helping him was he built my first cage for me. So that's how I got my first Mustang. I bought it for $250 uh, from Raddy's. It was a silver 82 Mustang and we built that and then went racing in 99 and it didn't really click. I had speed, but not, not the aptitude in the first couple of years to race. I put myself in the, in the law, in the wrong positions a lot of times and, and didn't learn the lessons until I'd say probably 2002, I'd really started clicking. We were running top five in points at airborne because with 70 cars a week at Thunder Road, I realized that at airborne with 30 start every week, as opposed to, you know, sometimes running 10 lap heat, and a 15 lap Conti and going home. So we were going over there running top 10 in points, top five to start the season. But, then uh, Lady Luck decided she wasn't going to be on my side because we went to Canaan and we were fast, but I missed the driver's meeting and Tom had his, you know, his rules. Tom Curley, if you miss the driver's meeting, you're starting in the back of the feature because that was, we'd run heat races and then had a post heat race driver meeting that somehow I was, I don't know, doing something else at the time. Didn't realize they were having the driver's meeting. So I started 33rd and that, and that, you know, those 50 lappers that we used to do with the street socks were a lot of fun. And I was up to, I think, like 12th or 13th on lap 28. Lloyd Blakely blew a radiator hose coming out of four. And I, mean, I was full song coming out of four. And I hit that wall a ton uh, right behind Justin St. Louis and Chris LeVere. We all just like slid right in, destroyed all three of those race cars. So that that cost us the top five in points at Airborne, I think, because I think Justin was leading the points at Airborne after the Saturday night before. And I just moved into fifth because he and I were just having a great time racing over there. And we had to, I had to throw, I had a backup car that I was actually building so that my dad could race with me. 
and my uncle could race so we could kind of share the car I was building a third uh, a second and third street stock actually because i bought one of eddie companions too and instead of building two more i scrapped that whole idea and threw a car together in about a week and a half uh so i could go racing again at airborne and we ended up finishing i think 11th in points but it just took us a while to get that new car going um and then 2003 tom went to the track tire the that was the first year of the street stock track tire and it was a lot smaller diameter than, than i had been running from the junkyard so either buy a new gears for i think like 300 bucks or let's just go back and try thunder road we'll be on equal tires and did pretty good i had five top fives in 03 and won the milk bowl um i let any companion borrow my car on um double points night because he was one of my it still is one of my best friends i've made through racing um and he finished i don't know like 20th with my car but just kind of got messed up in that deal and with a skipping double points night i think i still ended up like 15th or 16th in points when we still had 30 street socks every week that was a lot of fun and then of course at the end of the year i won the milk bowl and it was funny because we'd had the we'd had two segment style races that year the enduro which is now a straight up 50 lapper that season because we were running a 50 lapper anyway on enduro night it was a segment race um and i finished like sixth or seventh in the first segment and then just got and stuck in the second segment and i said after that enduro night to my dad and a couple of my crew guys we're gonna win the milk bowl because i'm not gonna wait with all winter to fix are and uh everyone just kind of looked at me like i was like yeah right sure yeah and i'm like no i'm telling you we've i bought another set of right side tires that next thursday and conditioned them for the milk bowl it was only that was the first time i'd actually raced on those tires like i had like consumed myself with i've had such bad luck in the street stocks we're now like a fast car racing with nick his rookie year next week and i was like i figured out how to be fast in the street stock division and as long as I don't dump anybody in the milk bowl, no one's going to be after me because they're going to be watching Eddie Companion and Jeff French and Nick Sweet. And I said, we're going to steal this thing. And at the time, eight points as I finished first in the first segment and seventh in the second, eight points was the lowest point total ever done because everybody was so focused on Jeff French and Nick Sweet. And you could just see, like, I've watched that rookies at the road the where they're, they're racing each other they're not racing me to win the milk bowl. They're racing each other to win the milk bowl. And I'm like, I knew that I would just be the sleeper in that deal. And uh, so we won the milk bowl. And that was when I decided that I decided we're going to move up to tigers. Cause back in 2000, I'd gotten a really good deal on a tiger car that I never raced. I think I paid $2,500 for it. It was race ready. Um, changed the valve springs in it for 2003 and had to change or for 2004 had to change the rear end because that was back when they were allowed to run the stock rear ends, but now they've got to run the four nine inch, which is still a rule today. So that was it. I sold my street stock to MC Ingram, who became another one of my really good friends through racing from, uh, for, I think I sold it to him for like 950 bucks. Cause that's what I bought the used rear end off Joe Becker for, for, um, like it was like guys getting five grand for street stocks. Now I'm like, man, you got the same parts that I sold mc ingram minus i sold him a parts car and two spare motors and you it's just like the price of race cars has gone through the roof and then mc became one of my really good friends and that was 2003 we moved up the tigers in 2004 one rookie of the year racing wise however on the personal front i had uh, uh my wife and i who i'd met through racing because she raced in the street stocks jenny bigelow who's now jenny maynard 
we had our first kid and that really put a, I should have stopped racing at that minute like because I no longer wanted to work on the car in the shop and I milked it out for two more I did 03 or 04 05 and 06 but I never put the effort into working on the race car because I was definitely more interested in, in being a brand new dad and like I'd work on the car one night a week as opposed to what it used to be like four or five nights a week because Jenny lived here in Lindenville and I was still living in Milton because my job was in Burlington and more times than not, I would drive over here to see her and then I would drive home and then go to bed and it made, it was tough sledding and racing was a thing that had to go. And I didn't really, I couldn't turn down the offer that Saturn had given me. They gave me $4,500 to race the tiger in 2005, which was like at the time for sponsor money, crazy. But I, I wanted to run because Tom was having one of his tiger tours. So what I wanted to do was run the tiger tour because it was six races and six races is a doable thing. Brand new family. We're trying to buy a house, which we did end up buying and it all worked out, but the racing end of it, Thunder Road kind of burned me out. Like it, it beat me because I wasn't putting the effort in um, everything that you could think of. Like there's a reason why, all these guys and myself included now, cause I still have, like we still have a tiger car up in the race shop. Um, there's a reason why you pack your bearings every week and you check all your stuff. And if you don't do it, then it just, it shows on the racetrack. You're two tenths off here. You're a 10th off for this, you know, before you know it, you're half a second off in a division that's got 45 tigers in it at the time on a pretty regular basis. And you're not going to compete. I mean, you'll compete enough to make yourself, man, we just could be a little bit better. So eventually I smartened up and I sold my tiger to Joe Cobb who ran airborne and it was pretty much an even trade. I kept my motor. He kept his motor and he gave me his renegade car, which was a perfect strictly for white mountain. And then he took my tiger and figured out all the things that I had neglected on it and said, man, you know, you could have had a good car if you'd have done this, 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 and this. And it's like, if I'd had two extra nights a week to not hang out with the new family, I probably would have been putting that effort in, but it was just a point where, that didn't happen. So I ran Strictly's at White Mountain, finished 11th of points, uh, got a trophy, which after winning the Milk Bowl and then running Tigers, other than winning the Rookie of the Year, when I hadn't gotten a trophy. And that was pretty much what I needed to do. Uh, Racing-wise, 06, got married, which probably was the smartest decision I've ever made in my life. Uh, 07, didn't really have the money to race. I ran three times, I think, once at White Mountain and twice at Groveton. Uh, had you know car went good but just really you know that was when like the whole everything started going in the tank like economy wise so nobody wanted to give me any sponsor money and i wasn't gonna beg to not race full time and so i ended up selling that car to steven donahue when he was like 12 like for real his tiger was my strictly they converted it over they did a lot of work to it they cut the cage off and moved it back i think john may have actually built a whole new cage but that was my that was my strictly. So as you know, time goes on and I'm now getting to the announcing thing, which we'll take that road here in a second. Um, I'm announcing my race car that used to be mine that I sold to Stephen Donahue. So I've got a lot of pride in that car going well. And it still races. Brett Wood has got it now and he's going to start racing it at Devil's Bowl. So that race car, which started out as a championship renegade at Airborne, I think in like 97, and then Joe Cobb raced it, bought it from, I think, Greg Wolcott. And Joe Cobb raced it, and I got it. And then I raced it for a season and a half. And then Stephen Donahue, Eric Messiers raced it. That's like the 
that's the real dinosaur. My brother calls his car the dinosaur, his old one. But that's the real one because that one may predate Adam's car and be more rudimentary. So that's the racing end of it. So now we'll go to the announcing announcing thing. So that little kid that had always wanted to announce, I raced Matchbox cars probably until I was like old enough to race for real because I just loved match. I, I loved announcing actually is what I loved. And I would get like picked on at school because I could always just do my Dave Moody impression, which I personally, I personally feel like, like, and it's not a Dave Moody impersonation because it's me announcing, but like, that's what I based it all off of is, is listening to Dave. He'll, he'll tell you, you know, yeah, Aaron's the only guy I've ever seen at 12 years of age, sitting in the stands, looking the wrong way at the racetrack because I was looking up at him half watching the races just totally enamored with the guy talking on the microphone. And that's pretty accurate. My first taste of announcing was the street stock B feature in 1995 at 14 years of age. My dad had dickered with Tom somehow that I got to call the street stock B feature. They had so many street stocks back then they'd qualify half the field. They would take the second half of the field and run a second feature, which like $30 or whatever it was and 10 you know wasn't a lot of points and Tom goes well whatever it's the last race of the night whatever let him do it and and they let me do that and that I was hooked right then like I'm like that's what I want to do because that's a lot of fun if driving doesn't work out and then I didn't really know how to get to be the track announcer because when I was racing Dave moved down south to do the MRN deal and Sears deal, which, you know, that's the made in the shade deal. And they, they brought Troy in and I'm like, well, you know, Dave did it for 30 years. Now, what am I going to do? Because here's the next guy who's younger than Dave was when Dave started. I'm going to have to wait 30 years. I'm like doing the math in my head. Like by the time I'm done this, I'm going to be 50 before I ever get to pick the microphone up. So in 2005, when Parati leased airborne from Tom, I did the first half of their season but Plattsburgh to Lindenville is two and a half hours and paying me like $50 and the ferry costs 30. So 20 bucks. I got to leave Lindenville at 10 AM. I get home from Linden. I get home from airborne at like 2 AM. I was like, I really like doing it, but it's just, it didn't work out. You know, he had a midweek enduro on like a Wednesday. And I'm like, I can't, do an enduro on a Wednesday like and that was we like had a difference of opinion right there like well you're the announcer you've got to be here and I'm like no I really don't um I have to work my real job that's paying my mortgage of the house I just barely bought um so I'm gonna skip that one and they hired some other guy to do it and I was disappointed that I was done but Airborne was not the racetrack I wanted to announce at so we'll We'll fast forward to 2010 because that was that was five years of just oh I helped Scott Dragon I picked root for Scott Dragon with the RLD team when he and uh, Brock Rouse were in the 70 car in that like interim where I didn't have a race car I helped them out spotted for Scott and did tires um, yeah and I actually helped them when I was racing too uh, back with the Mad Dog Motorsports when uh, I spotted for Eric in 03 and uh, I've always liked helping people like no matter who they are if you ask me for help with your race car i will do whatever i can to try to help you understand whatever you're doing better and then take the opportunity for myself to learn something in the process 
kind of like trial and error. We'll figure this out one way or the other. Um, so after that, I just kind of was resided to bringing my son to the races because we had Lizzie in 2004 and then we had Ryan in 2008. So I just, you know, resolved myself to, I'm going to bring my kids to the racetrack and, and whatever. And then in 2010, uh, they announced over the, the live speaker that Troy was leaving and they were going to pick somebody out of the crowd. If you want to come do the contest, come sign up. And I was like, Tom and I had had a very uh, oil and water type relationship when I raced because I did not maybe have the best attitude. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm, there's no way, even if I am the best guy, Tom's like, Tom's going to hold my racing past against me and be like, I'm not signing on to that guy. So it'd been like two weeks since they'd announced it. And I was walking through the pits and Joe Becker. And I'm telling you right now, you're talking to me right now. And the only reason you're talking to me right now is Joe Becker. Joe Becker walks up and he goes, Hey, they're having a contest to replace uh, Troy. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh, are you going to do it? And I'm like, no, probably not. And he goes, I'll tell you what, right now, I've heard you in the pits pretend to announce and the race is going on. If you don't go sign up to do that contest, I'm not talking to you ever again. And I had a lot of respect for Joe. I mean, I still do have a lot of respect for Joe um, because, you know, he's, he does all the work on that 16 car himself, like all, all along. He helped me so much first out of racing tigers. Like he's just been nice for no reason to me. And so he was like, if you don't, if you don't go sign up, then I'm not talking to you anymore. We're done. So I reluctantly went, all right, I guess I'll go sign up. And I signed up and the deal was, I don't know. I think there was 16 of us. And it was me and one other guy that I remember we did like a three-way battle and Mike Spreisberg was the other guy. And we, all of us got to do a street stock heat race and uh, pretty much it worked out that like guys that I raced with. So I had like a, a knowledge of them all were in that heat race that I announced. It was like super Joe Fechtel and Lloyd Blakely and Wiener. And it was all the guys from when I was in the division, probably Thunder, probably two. And it was just like, so I was passionate about what they were doing. And Tom like immediately saw the passion. He was like, all right, we've got ourselves something here. He came out of the tower to listen to me on the concrete grandstands where the spotters stand. And I was like, well, what the heck? Like he hadn't moved from anybody else. And he was like, he went out on the, he was like listening. And uh, I was like, I think that went pretty well. And I, Michael Stridesberg and I actually did it from the same night. So they had like four nights maybe of people having contests and me and Michael did it the same night. And then it was like three weeks later and we hadn't heard anything. And I'm like, well, this is kind of weird because all the people have gone and there's been a week and we haven't heard anything. And my phone rings and it's Marvin Glarno. And he goes, Hey Aaron, what are you doing? Um, Saturday, whatever it was. I don't even remember the date. And I said, uh, I don't know why he goes, well, we got a tiger tour race at Canaan. And Tom was wondering since uh, Troy's going to be up in Canada with the uh, Castrol series, uh, the Act Tour is running a combination race up there. Troy's going to be up there. He wanted to know if you could do the, the Tiger Tour race at Canaan. And I was like, so does that mean I got the job? And he goes, no, they haven't made a decision, but Tom said that you did a really good job in your heat race. You could do the Tiger Tiger Tour race. And I'm like, all right. Uh, yeah, I guess I can. I mean, sure. Uh, what do I got to do? And uh, 
I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of weird because I, I didn't win yet. And, uh, but I'm doing a Tiger Tour race, so I must have won. And it was very confusing. And it was, I was very stressful because I had been so committed to the idea that Tom was never going to like accept me as his announcer that I had not thought I was going to win. And then everyone in the stands and like people that I know and people that I'd raced with that I didn't get along with had come up and been like, dude, if you're not winning this contest, we don't even know what the deal is. Like it's you and the other guy from your night, which was Michael. And that's like, nobody else was even in the ballpark. So finally we get around to labor day. Like that's when he makes his decision. I came back and did run what you brung too. So I did the tiger tour race was, I think was in July. And then they called me to do the enduro because Troy didn't want to do the enduro, which I totally understand why he didn't want to do the enduro. He, but I'm sure, I think it was when he was doing some MRN stuff. He had a trial where he did a couple of road course races and, and Marvin again called me, uh, Aaron Maynard. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you think you could do the enduro? And I'm like, uh, like I don't have a car to run the enduro. No, I don't. He goes, nope. Tom thinks Troy's busy. He thinks you'd do good at the enduro. And I'm like, all right, I guess I can come do the enduro. And I came and did the enduro. And that's the first check that I ever got from ACT or Tom, with Tom Curley's signature on it for working was, when I worked the Enduro, I've got that somewhere around here that I, I did cash it, but I kept the pay stub because that one's in, that one's important. And then I did run with Jabrung that first year too when we were doing the, the contest. And then he brought us in on Labor Day, me and Michael. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm not going to have one announcer. I've decided that for next year. I'm going to use you both. He said, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And you're going to share it. And this guy will do victory lane when that guy does the feature. And I was like, so wait a minute. I won like Michael won obviously as well, but I'm like, so wait, I won. And, and yeah, I won. And then that was it. That was the entire conversation. I worked labor day. I did the street stocks, I think on labor day and Michael did the tigers. And then on milk bowl day, I did, the Tigers and he did the street socks or whatever, whichever it was, those flip around the, the actual memory of that. It's actually gotten a little foggy now. And then it was like two weeks later and the phone rang. So we're going to Tom, we're going to Waterford, Connecticut. Uh, Tom wants to know if you think you could come down and work with Troy here at Waterford. And I'm like, well, of course I can. Well, it's a two day event. So there's that and you put us in a hotel room with the rest of the officials and i'm like all right I'm, I'm in like flynn i have never been as nervous as i was the first time i announced a tour race um and i can actually remember it troy did the first heat race on that because they did the qualifying on saturday and then the race on sunday troy did the first heat race and he goes and now i'm going to hand the microphone over to the voice of the american canadian tour going forward aaron maynard which he was the first person to say that and I did those, there was three heats that day. I'm pretty sure I did those other two heat races and he, Troy went, well, I would do this differently. I would do that. You know, watch what you're doing here. You've got the raw voice, but you've got a lot of refining that needs to be done. And that went pretty well. We got through that weekend and then it was the big question. So I'm the voice of the American Canadian all the time, American Canadian tour all the time, or just for this weekend or Michael and I sharing everything. And it was kind of like a big question mark and it never really got answered until we started the season. We got our schedules of what races you're working. And I got my schedule and it was every Thunder Road race was had my initials next to it. 
and every tour race had my initials next to it. And I'm like, so I'm the announcer for the American Canadian tour. And it worked really good because we went to Lee first way before the season started. And the way the tower is at Lee, the, the race director can't really hear the announcer because the way you're separated. And it worked pretty good because I had Ken who has been so influential in my career in the tower with me. Like, so we'd have like a heat race or two. I think we had three heats that day too. And then there was their track division and John Spence, who's another announcer I've looked up to forever would be calling his stuff. And Ken would be like, all right, now you talk too fast because I don't know if you've paid attention or not, but I have the ability to talk way too fast. He goes, you got to slow down. You got to, you know, it's like you're, you're there, but you're like, running over here you need to come back here and walk actually he goes actually go down to a crawl he goes i understand there's happening really fast he goes but if you are 500 miles an hour all the time no one is ever going to listen to anything you say and that's the whole like that day i can i can like that's the one race that stands out above the rest of like ken with like one-on-one like do this do that you're good here make sure and, and then we go into thunder road racing weekly and that was when the the boot camp started because because then you're right next to you're touching tom you are shoulder to shoulder with tom curly announcing races and tom curly is a good enough guy that he can announce a race in one with the microphone in one hand and he can have his radio in the other and i know because i've seen him do it being announcing blah 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 blah. here they come off a turn four sideways oh there's a crash he sets this microphone down for five seconds. He picks this one up and he goes, all right, records roll out. And it's like, holy crap. Like he could race direct and announce at the same time. He would sit there when I was first starting and like, correct me. Like this is your, you're watching this. You've got to watch this. You got to learn how to watch what this Joey Poles back here running 13th, but he's going to be one of the guys playing for this race. So during the course of this race, you have to talk about him. And I know that, you know, he's fast because I watched you watch practice. And it's just, that's, so that gets us to being the voice of the American Canadian tour. And then the last 10 years, it's been 10 years. This is actually season 11, I think has kind of just all been learning every time I talk to anybody because people will say, Hey, I didn't like it when you did this, or I liked it when you did that. I don't think I've ever stopped learning how to be better at what I do. I actually love the flow racing deal that we have this year because, I watch almost everything on it just to research. Okay. This person talks like that. And this person does this. And, Oh, I really like this way that this person said side by side, or I really like the way that this guy says runs the outside groove. And they're like, just like always just compiling stuff into my brain. So yeah, I'll let you ask another question. Well, well, thank you for the, uh, uh, for the explanation of, of of everything, I you know that that takes us right all the way through. Luckily, I still have some some other stuff, and it, it takes us down a, a few different avenues um, of these last uh, I guess eleven years now, uh, as we are into season eleven of it. Um, so yeah, I mean you've gotten to announce over the over these past few years some some big time races. You've gotten to announce that Oxford two fifty that. Um, you know, you talked about dreaming of going to as a kid and, and, you know, the wheel and modified tour. I mean, you've been one of the announcers for you, you've done play by play for, 
uh, NBC Sports Network, technically, um, and, you know, so many other big events throughout your time as the announcer. So, um, you know, take us through just some of the big ones, and if there's uh, any events that would stand out above the rest to you that you've gotten the, uh, the honor of calling. So I think the biggest one for me was the Oxford 250. I'll start with that one because that was the race. Like as a little kid playing matchbox cars, I know for a fact I was listening to the 250. So when I started announcing, I said, if I can ever do that Oxford 250, I think that, that would be my goal. Like that'd be my end goal. Like to be good enough to do the Oxford 250 someday. And I like that. So that's a good goal. And then the last year that it was a late model race there, the Oxford announcer had left and Tom pulled me aside and he said, Oxford asked me to have you announce the Oxford 250. And he goes, I'm just telling you that because somebody's probably going to tell you that. And I told him I didn't want my announcer announcing that race because he wasn't ready. And I was mad. Like I was mad that like they asked you to have me do this race. And you said, no. And he goes, you're not ready, Aaron. He goes, you can do this someday. He goes, but you are not ready. And he goes, I wouldn't get in your way of doing this race, but you're not ready. And it was a lot of ill will there for a few, for a few weeks, because I would think that I was more ready than the kid that they'd had plugged in to do it. But I understand now having done it, that I would have not been anywhere near ready to do it for 250 laps at the time. So Tom was right. Cause Tom was very, very smart. And, uh, so when the phone rang on the Wednesday night of the Oxford 250, which was the 46th annual Oxford 250, and the number of my race car, and it was Mike Mayberry, and he goes, hey, I just talked to Chris Mashad, who is my boss currently, and he goes, he said it'd be all right if you uh, wanted to announce the Oxford 250 because we, we have parted ways with Marco. And I was like, yeah, pretty much, yep, I'll do it. <laughs> actually it was a lot more a conversation than that i'm like am i doing all three days am i doing two days what am i doing he goes well you're going to be there saturday anyway with the act tour so you do all saturday do all sunday we agreed on a price because i had to get a hotel room and i did the oxford 250 and travis benjamin won his third and that was that was the biggest one to date doing it uh the 47th was really good because johnny clark who was one of the guys i cheered for on past when I was just watching pass, like when it was in its infancy, won that one. And of course with COVID and everything, it took a while to get down there. Cause I had to, we hadn't used the wireless all day cause we hadn't done any victory lanes. So I had to figure out how to get the wireless working. Cause I'd never turned any of that stuff on at Oxford at Oxford. And I was just been like the, Oh, here you go. Here's the wireless go down to victory lane with it. You know, like I was the whole guy for the whole show. And so I get down to victory lane and Johnny Clark's first words to me were, what took you so long? And, uh, and it was just like, he was joking. And, uh, and I wish that I had asked him the same question because, you know, that would have been like, I don't know. It took me a while to get down the stairs, but what took you, you know, this many years to do it. And it was awesome. But really, I think every race that I do is, is big enough to be the next best one. But the, the Oxford 250 is definitely the race that sticks out in my mind is that was the race that I wanted to do as a little kid. And then like you alluded to with the wheel and modified tour in NASCAR, like after I did the two fifty two years ago, uh, my wife said, so what's your next goal? I said, I don't know. I guess NASCAR TV would probably be the next thing I want to do. And then it was like, 
Chris had called me or maybe grabbed me at Thunder Road and goes, Hey, so uh, just so you know, we're having the wheel of modified tour coming to loud it or coming to New Hampshire motor speed or New Hampshire motor speedway. That's another racetrack. That's a big deal for me uh, to white mountain. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have you, we're, we're going to have you do the TV broadcast from there. They're going to wire you up and you're going to do the TV. And uh, all right. And he walked off and I'm like, I think Chris just told me I'm doing TV work without telling me I'm doing TV work. <laughs> and uh, so that was, that was pretty cool. But while that was happening, it wasn't as cool as it was the first time I flipped on the television and I was flipping through the channels and I had forgot that I was going to be on TV. And I stumbled across, I think it's channel like 72 or something here in Lindenville. And it was like, and they're going down the back straightaway and Doug Colby works the outside. And I'm like, that's me on TV. And that was like an aha moment. I'm like, whoa, that, that is me on television. And of course, the first time I announced that Loudon was a big deal. And like, they've gotten progressively bigger. Like the first Loudon race, because I remember being a little kid going to New Hampshire Motor Speedway when it first opened in 1990 and seeing the elevator and saying, someday I'm going to ride that elevator. And like, yeah, sure, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to be famous enough to ride that elevator. And then I remember the first time I was at Loudon and I hopped in that elevator and as I got to the top and the door opened, I'm like, I told you I was going to be like, it popped into my brain as I walked out of the elevator, the little kid moment where I said, I'm going to ride it someday. And of course, the first time I went down South, we went to New Smyrna. That was another big one because that's a, that's way far from home. You know, like here we are down here and Tom's got Troy that lives in Florida at the time. If he didn't think I was good enough to do it, he would just be like, hey, Troy, can you swing over and do this race for me so I don't have to pay Aaron to go down there? And to do that one was good. Um, Richmond was another race that probably at the time was the biggest race I had done to myself because I'm in the MRN booth doing the race broadcast. Like, granted, it's not on television. I think it was actually on Speed 51, but it's not on TV TV. But at the time, I hadn't done the wheel and modified stuff. And that was, at the time, was a big, huge deal to me to be at Richmond, you know? And it's like each big one kind of makes the big one at the time, like, a little bit lesser. But they're all, at the time, were huge. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so when you're not doing when you're not off being a, a famous uh, TV superstar there, um, <laughs> we... <laughs> go back to thunder road every thursday night um you know that's where i grew up uh well you know i I guess i technically kind of we were talking about this at white mountain the other night i kind of you're more or less the only guy i remember calling races at thunder road growing up which you thought was really weird um but uh you know you're that's you know where you've been now for for some time so uh kind of take us through what a Thursday night looks for looks like for you at Thunder Road. Like what goes on behind the scenes? So on a Thursday night, I leave work at around two o'clock and head to the racetrack. And last year with COVID, we had to keep the cars kind of spaced out, you know, to keep them apart. So I'd help park trailers until the pits opened. Or I mean after the pits opened, I would help them, you know, park trailers. I would do the street stocks. And I think Dean would go over and do the late models and Chuck would take the tigers. And we'd park the cars. And then uh, for a long time, I flagged practice uh, because I enjoy flagging as well. Uh, but then they hired Kaysen from White Mountain to do it. Um, so then I sit there and I watch practice uh, and I see who's fast. And fast is not always what the speed chart says. 
fast is you can watch roofs of race cars and see who's fast. Whose car, as you're looking at the roof, is attitude the way that it's going to be fast. And if you want to know what it looks like, go look at the 66, the zero, and the 85. Because that's what a fast race car looks like. And you can tell it's fast without ever looking at the sides of it. It's just the attitude of the car as it rolls down into the corner. I usually watch practice. Uh, my daughter's been riding to the races with me for the last couple of seasons. So we kind of talk back and forth about what's going on. I'll swing through the pits, talk to drivers, you know, if they got any big news going on or, you know, we're trying some crazy setup. We built a new car. So-and-so gave us extra money. So could you mention them on the PA, you know, whatever they need uh, drivers, I think, I, I hope they feel comfortable. They can be like, Hey, you know what? Uh, uh, Kenny drugs is here tonight. You know, just Kyle Pembroke because he won last week. Kenny drugs is here tonight. So could you please say, Kenny Drugs or I know like Burger Blake will hand me a paper, piece of paper when some of Cody's not big sponsors are there like Leahy Press is on that car. He'll hang them and say, hey, you know, Leahy Press is here. And make sure you, you know, get them out because they help us do what they what we do. And usually I'll swing over to my brother's trailer and ask him what kind of misfortune he's got going on with his race car and see if we can get that thing going a little bit better for him without ever touching it. But I'll just like be a sounding board for him and Go talk to the street stocks. And that was the one thing about 2020 that was the hardest was going to the racetrack without interacting with all the drivers because it was really hard to do the wheel and modified tour last year, but because I didn't know any of those guys anyway, like that's how you kind of learn about your drivers. Like you talk to them and you kind of get a read of their attitude towards, you know, whatever from talking to them. And it was really weird to not talk to any of my guys at Thunder Road last year for I think like right up until like the end of September, I I talked to like four people at the racetrack that didn't work for AD. And then I started announcing, you know, it's like pre-races, walking around, talking to everybody, you know, checking in, seeing what what's going on. Um, and then you know, started announcing. So I'll announce from the drop of the green or like the start of the post parade, right up until the checkered flag flies in the last race of the year, the last race of the night. I thank everybody for coming. And then I finally get to go have a bite to eat and, and go to the bathroom or whatever I need to do because I'm talking from drop of the green until drop of the checker to the last race. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously we've talked about it. Um, you know, the, the position that you hold is one that's been held by many uh, of what people might pe- people might call royalty um in you know vermont uh in overall motorsports broadcasting guys like ken squire and, and dave moody over the course of the years so um just what does it mean to you to to be able to um be the track announcer at thunder road and kind of carry on the legacy of those kind of those guys um who really paved the way pressure it's a lot of it's a lot of internal pressure and i don't think that i have a lot of pressure from outside but i know that i'm the last guy that Tom Curley and Ken Squires train together. Like Ken could probably help somebody along right now, but we know that Tom's not with us anymore. He's not going to train anybody, but I'm the, I'm the one that they put their effort into, to molding into what they wanted to their next announcer to be because Aaron Maynard that started this in 2010 is nowhere near as good as Aaron Maynard doing it now in 2021. And it's because of the time that those two gentlemen and Dave Booty reached out to me with multiple emails on things to do. And, and Troy flew back from Florida a few times to help out. But really, without those four guys putting in the time and effort to make me better than I was when I started, I wouldn't be as good as I am. So I have the internal pressure 
to not disappoint them. If that makes sense. Like I want to, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, is like, I don't even know what this guy's name is. So uh, whatever, you know, like you go to some tracks and they're like, uh, uh, whoever's in the 12, you know, like uh, there's a guy, he has a name in that car, you know, you're not important to you, but he's important to his sister who's sitting over there right now. So you got to know that that's, you know, whoever it is. So I got one more question before we get you out of here. Um, All right. And, uh, it's kind of a fun one because and you know i feel like over the, this year to start the year that we've been doing it maybe it's maybe it's because um we missed victory lane interviews all throughout last year um with covid but uh this year we've brought thunder roads got victory lane interviews back post race um so and you know I, a bunch of them already this year have just had had me chuckling um you know whether it's stuff the drivers say whether it's stuff you say whether it's stuff the drivers do um but uh just uh do you have any any good victory lane stories from the front stretch uh throughout the years of you uh of you doing those i do and there's there's one that really sticks out to mind and first off before i answer this question i have to thank you guys at, at inside groove for for doing victory lanes last year when covid wouldn't let us do it and you guys would put them up on facebook because it meant a lot to the drivers because they could thank their sponsors and say what, what went on. And the fact that you guys did that, like stepped up, I don't think anybody asked you to do it, but you took the initiative. And I, I really appreciated that because, you know, obviously I couldn't, um, the Johnny Clark one at Oxford was good when he just, I got there and he's like, well, that, what took you so long? Um, that one really caught me off guard. And then there was another one with Brian Orr. I don't remember exactly what he said but i remember that that we both just burst laughing he and jimmy hebert had battled and i mean it was like one of those like 0.002 second margins of victories and brian said oh shit that was close or something along those lines and it was like brian had always been in victory lane like professional brian whore like you can get brian whore away from the racetrack or like away from like the victory lane part of it and brian's quite a comical guy but like there he is like we're in victory lane and he's like oh shit that was closer i i don't think it was shit i think it was something else but that one really caught me off guard um yeah there's been a lot of good ones uh some of the warrior drivers like they're just like yeah you know whatever's going on kyle pembroke's from just this week was good i'm like you know like last week got blew up and then you know like this week you know you get the luxury of the handicap start up front because that's how the system works. He goes, yeah, you know what? Sometimes you park it in the pits and sometimes you get to come out here and talk to Aaron. And I'm like, what, what, what the heck? Like, you know, there's like those like little things that, that, uh, that catch me off guard, but you know, I like pretty much interviewing almost everybody that I've done. I've tried to figure out who I've interviewed in victory lane the most, like, and I can't figure it out because like, it doesn't do second and third place finishes when you're looking at all time. And I'm like, cause Wayne Hellowell has got to be up there and he's, He's usually a good one for, for like something funny right off the top of his head. And like, I know that I've laughed in victory lane with him a lot. And uh, Nick sweet was really good too. When he, when he kept finishing second to Derek, he would be like, Oh, well, you know, we didn't make it this time. Maybe next time, you know, like, it's like wait, what? <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of good ones that I wish I wish I'd known you were going to ask me that question because I'd have put some effort into figuring that one out. I know that Brian's Brian's at Airborne was classic. Like he was like, oh shit, that was close. I think, yeah, it was it was a good one. Well, Aaron, uh, I I think it works out because we're we're right at 46 minutes for this interview, so I think <laughs> that's a great Perfect time number. to end, right, <laughs> right on your number. So, uh, thank you, uh, obviously, thank you for for taking us through everything and uh, and showing people a lot of uh, stuff that they might not see about the guy uh, behind the voice that they hear. Uh, every Thursday night at the racetrack. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you and hear your voice soon, I'm sure. All right, well, thank you, and thank you guys for everything you've done. You know, your social media presence has been amazing, and you guys are doing a lot of, a lot of good things, and, and I really appreciate that.